everyone, welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I'm doing a somewhat sort of kinda Christmas-themed-esque episode. And I always wanna give myself the opportunity to talk more about Elvis Presley when I can. So I thought, you know what? How can I tie in Christmas to Elvis Presley? And it's actually very easy because I'm sure some of you, whether you wanted to hear it willingly or not, you have probably heard a plethora of Christmas songs that were performed by Elvis, like Blue Christmas, White Christmas, Here Comes Santa Claus, all those other classic hits that have been recorded and covered and remixed over and over and over again. But this is an episode of how Elvis Presley, who was and still kind of is considered the king of Christmas, he has sold so many Christmas albums out of anyone else. Yes, even Mariah Carey, he outsold her, it's true. How he went from that, being at the top of his game, to making a comeback that was supposed to be a Christmas special, but it ended up saving his entire career from what he thought could never come back from. So let's just jump right into it and get started. So it is true that Elvis is considered the king of Christmas. He has the best-selling Christmas album of all time. Of all time. Like I said, he outbeats Mariah Carey. You think about, I don't know, any Christmas album that like Frank Sinatra has done. He's done a million. Or like Michael Buble or someone like that. Like he outdoes all of them. He has the number one best-selling Christmas album of all time, which is just simply called Elvis's Christmas Album, and this was released in 1957. And it's been re-released, re-released, re-released with different album covers, different names, but essentially it's Elvis's Christmas Album, and it came out originally in October of 1957, which some of you might think, it's a Christmas album, why did it come out in October? Well, so it could have time to build up momentum in the charts and land at number one when it came time for Christmas. Like I talked about in my John Lennon podcast that I did about his Christmas song, it came out a little bit too late so that it couldn't get on the top of the charts. This one, it had plenty of time. This was Elvis's technically fourth studio album, right? He had his debut album. He had a soundtrack album for his film Loving You. He had some other ones in there. Like, you know, he was just doing it, doing the damn thing. And this so happened to be and still is considered one of the best Christmas albums of all time. And like I said, it's been reissued and entered in the album chart every single year through 1962, racking up sales of 3 million copies between 57 and 62. After Elvis released his second album called Elvis Sings the Wonderful World of Christmas in 1971, fans wanted to get their hands on the out-of-print original Christmas album that he did in 57. And all of the reissues of that one album up until this point total up, up to about 17 million copies sold, which for a Christmas album that you really only play in December, it's very impressive numbers. It was Elvis's first diamond selling record, the top selling Christmas album of all time, and Elvis's only album in the top selling albums of all time list. So that's just a little side note to the main story because I'm just setting up the plot here that Elvis is known as the King of Christmas. Okay, I gave him that title lovingly, but it's true. So 
Now let's kind of slide it back on into Elvis and his career, how it morphed from the 60s through when he was doing his comeback show. So Elvis came out with a couple of albums in his early career. He skyrocketed to stardom. He amassed a wide, a wide range of fans overnight, becoming technically the first celebrity that we've ever seen. He then went to the army for two years. After returning to the army in March 1960, Elvis was worried that the people would forget about him. They released new material as Elvis was overseas. This was already pre-planned. So when Elvis came back, he was worried that his public reception from the fans wouldn't be as strong, but actually he came back as strong as ever. And he enjoyed some success with his album releases. He had the Elvis is Back album, which is an original. He had GI Blues, which is a soundtrack to a film that he did. And by the way, I'm getting into this, but not only was Elvis a singer, he was also an actor, but we'll get into that in just a minute. He released His Hand in Mine, which is one of his few gospel albums that he has in his repertoire. And he released Something for Everybody, which is another original album, and then the Blue Hawaii soundtrack film. So that takes us right through to about 1961. And in March of that year, he played a concert in Hawaii to benefit the construction of the USS Arizona Memorial. This would be his last public performance for seven years. Why? Because he shifted his career from doing music to doing films. Elvis always really wanted to be a movie star. He loved James Dean and he wanted to be as good as James Dean if he could. And unfortunately, the thing about this is, while he had a couple of great movies in the beginning, um, if you are unfamiliar, you know, take a watch or watch um, King Creole or... Jailhouse Rock, for example, those are his two probably best early films pre going into the army. And so when he comes back post army, he released those four albums and now he's starting to do more movies and focus on movies. And his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, is kind of the one that pushed him to do that because here's the thing. He thought, his manager thought, well, people want to see Elvis on screen, but more so than that, they want to see Elvis perform. They want to see Elvis sing in a movie. They want to see him carry the film with music. This is where it gets to be the formula for Elvis's films from this point that kind of made his film career in the face of critics and some of his fans to be a joke because he would do these formulaic films, these comedies that did horribly at the box office, and the soundtracks were done so cheaply and not well made at all. Elvis himself actually hated doing some of these movies as it got longer and longer throughout the 60s because he he was a perfectionist in his own right and he didn't want to put out a bad product to the people and he thought this was putting out a bad product but he thought well my manager is telling me that all the fans want to see me sing in a movie so I guess this is what I have to do if I want to be a movie star but unfortunately that couldn't really be for him because even some of the more serious acting roles that he did, such as Flaming Star in 1960 and Wild in the Country in 1961, both of those releases flopped. Like, people hated them. They're like, Elvis not really doing a whole lot of serious singing or being silly in comedy roles that are like teeny bopper films? I don't understand that. And so, you know, they didn't do so well at the box office because people thought of him as a one note or a one trick pony. Like, oh, Elvis should just be singing on stage in a film and that's all that he should be doing, which isn't what Elvis wanted to do. But unfortunately, that's what ended up happening. 
to his uh, film career. I mean, he had a couple of somewhat successful films in the 60s, like Viva Las Vegas was his film that he did in 1964 with Anne Margaret. That actually was somewhat successful, but the rest of the films, in terms of like the box office and what the critics thought and what the, some of the fans thought at the time, it just wasn't really the greatest product he could have put out. And he thought the same. He thought he could do better, but he was under contractual obligation by these film companies and by his manager to produce these kind of films. And he had no say in the scripts, essentially. Um, so that's where that's the hole that Elvis was dug into in the 60s after he came back from the war in the 50s, late 50s, where he had all that amazing success with his music and some of his films, too. Like I mentioned, King Creole and Jailhouse Rock are two of his probably best films that he's ever done. Um, and then he comes back and he gets stuck into this formula and he can't get himself out of it. And he's not putting out really any new music except for the soundtracks to some of the films. Um, I believe he put out maybe one or two gospel albums. There are some compilation albums, I believe, that got put out in this time. But there wasn't a whole lot of like anything that really charted at the top, you know, so he didn't have the greatest of careers music wise or film wise in the 60s. And so it comes to a point where we're leading on to 1967, and it, it becomes October now. Colonel Tom Parker approached NBC to propose the idea for a Christmas television special for Elvis, because like I said, people knew Elvis. If they didn't know anything about Elvis, they knew 100% that Elvis was a Christmas guy in terms of he was the one that had the best-selling Christmas album of all time, right? And he did Blue Christmas and all those other ones that I talked about, and so you know, what better idea Colonel Tom Parker thought than to put Elvis in a Christmas special where it would be sponsored by the Singer Corporation, which is the Singer Sewing Machines. And so he would basically do an entire Christmas special. He'd be dressed in like a Christmas sweater type situation. He'd be singing his Christmas songs and that would really be the whole entire concept. And he thought that was great. So not only would it be a Christmas television special, but it would have the financing for a film and a soundtrack to go with the TV special. Uh, NBC was behind this idea, but Elvis's initial reaction to the special were not good. He felt that it was another scheme concocted by Colonel Tom Parker and was angered by the idea of singing Christmas carols on national television because he thought he was a joke. He thought the people must think that I'm a big joke by doing all these films that aren't great, putting out all these soundtrack albums that aren't that great, and now I'm doing a Christmas special where I'm sponsored by Singer Sewing Machines, and I have to get up there, and I have to perform all these Christmas songs, like an elf or something, and he must have thought, that's such a big joke. And so he really thought at that point, if that's where it was going to go, that his career would be over. It technically, in a way, kind of was. It wasn't the best. It was riding on a lot to have this special be important, because otherwise, if this special didn't go well, I'm pretty sure his career would have bombed at this point. So this, there was a lot riding on the special to be really good. And he thought, a Christmas special, I can't do that. That's just not what I want to do. So the special's producer, Bob Finkel, he persuaded the Singer Corporation, NBC, and Tom Parker to change the show's original concept from being a Christmas special to just being Elvis on stage performing some of his songs. And after Elvis heard that interpretation of the special, he was like, I can get behind that because I haven't 
performed in front of an audience in seven or so years at that point, seven, eight years. And he missed it a lot. He missed being out there in front of an audience and singing to them and dancing and stuff and having a good time and being a serious performer. He missed that. So NBC had gotten Colonel Tom Parker's approval that the show wouldn't be around the Singer Sewing Machine Christmas branding, that it would be only Elvis. That was it. It would just be Elvis. There also would be enough material for a soundtrack album to be made and a Christmas single would appear. That was kind of then the contract. Like, okay, Elvis can perform, but there has to be a Christmas single. Just because they have to get their original idea in there somehow of this overarching Christmas theme. Like, that's what they need. So it's like, well, you can have the special, but we still want our Christmas shtick. So they're like, okay, whatever. So Bob Finkel was like, great, I'll I'll run with that. So he goes to Steve Binder, who at that point had directed other concert films for NBC at that time. So he was very well-versed and how to produce and come up with a concert TV special. It was felt that hiring Steve would revitalize Elvis's image and that Steve would be able to reintroduce Elvis to new audiences in the late 60s. So this, again, there was a lot riding on this to be very important. So when Steve was brought on to the project to work with Elvis, he initially was hesitant because he had already assumed and thought Elvis's career was done that it wasn't doing so well because of what I had already explained with the films and the music not being so great. So he said, how can I work with this guy? Because his career is already dead. But if he was going to be part of this special, he had to be honest with Elvis and let him know that he thought there certain things needed to be done in order to refresh his image to the public. And so Elvis was on board. He was like, listen, I'm not doing a Christmas special. I'm not going to be singing Christmas carols to the people. I'm not going to be doing that. I want you to revitalize my image and make me cool again to the public. So whatever it is that you think I need to do in order to have that image to the public and, and, and get that back, then great, I'll do it. So that's what essentially was done. A meeting was arranged in which Tom Parker assured that the team would have full creative control, but stressed that the publishing rights must be under Elvis's name because that's how it was done all the time. Elvis didn't write any of the songs that he did in his career. He wanted to at some point later in life, but he wasn't allowed to. So it was per his contract with Tom Parker that anyone that was to write material for Elvis, it would be um, mostly given to Elvis and the publishing rights would be under his name. That's essentially what it was. So Steve Binder met with Elvis later that week and informed him that they would prepare all of the details for the special by the time Elvis would return home from his vacation in Hawaii. So Elvis was like, cool, you do what you got to do. I'm over here in Hawaii hanging out, so whatever. So over in California, they hired the production crew, a musical director, arranger, writers, and a costume designer, Bill Bellew, which... We have to give it up to Bill Bellew because he created some of the most amazing, iconic jumpsuits Elvis had ever worn. And just in fashion history, some of the most iconic pieces in fashion history of all time. Let's just be honest. This was where Elvis wore a two-piece leather outfit, um, like a jacket and pants on stage doing this special, which would be dubbed later as the 68 comeback special. So that's what he ended up wearing. So it it was really becoming more of a way of how do we make Elvis not necessarily look cooler to the public, but how do we show the people that Elvis is 
with it and he is not dead, done, and dusted. That he is with the modern times, essentially. It was all done by design and it was cool. An idea was proposed where they wanted to portray Elvis's career through his songs. So essentially in the special, they wanted to do a thing where the songs that they would perform or he would perform on stage would showcase a move through his career. Like he would do a song about maybe his early times in the 50s and his coming up. And then he would do something like in the middle of his career, like telling and interweaving a story with the music that they would be playing on the special, his career. And that's the concept for that. That's what it was. And then they thought, well, that's really interesting because let's tell the people like what Elvis's career has been up until this point and show what it is now. So the show would interweave performances that was done live of Elvis's songs and also it would include musical numbers that showcased his career. So it wasn't just a straight up sit down performing concert or a stand up performing concert. It had both of those concepts, but it also had musical dance numbers um, and musical numbers that Elvis would sing to. And it's just really, really, really cool. It's really interesting. It's not like, it's not a musical at all, but there's like musical numbers in it um, interwoven through the sit down live portions and the stand up live portions, um, which I thought was really interesting. So it's really cool. If you haven't seen the special, I would suggest you watch it in full. It's really, really, really cool. So the musical numbers essentially kind of showcase Elvis's career in a roundabout, interesting, dramatic way up until that point in 67. So I thought that's really cool that they would come up with that idea. Associates for Singer approved the idea and so did Tom Parker, but again, they wanted to make sure that there was that Christmas song that they would do to have a single in the charts for Christmas time. That's what they were really hoping for. They were like, okay, whatever, we'll let Elvis do whatever he wants to do, but you have to still make sure there's a Christmas song in there somewhere. And then it was also going to be done that Elvis would have a speech prepared and he would give a speech talking about a lot of things that happened in the socio-political climate in the 60s, especially regarding his feelings on the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., two people whom Elvis was affected by seeing the assassinations of that on live TV. The assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. actually happened in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where Elvis grew up for a great portion of his life and where he got his start in music. He thought that the the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. was despicable for the most obvious reasons, but he also concluded too that that assassination only confirmed everyone's worst feelings about the South in which, you know, he loved the South. He loved being Southern. He loved having that in his in his marrow, but he also was aware that people would maybe look down upon the South because of instances like that in history. And so it was going to be done at the end of the special where, again, he'd sing the Christmas song and then he'd give a speech. But that was scrapped. Both of those both of those ideas were scrapped um, to be something different. So and I'll get into that in just a minute because that ends up being one of probably his most iconic performances that he's ever given. So I'll get into that in just a few minutes here. So that's the concept basically for the 68 comeback special. And now it's actually time to tape and record some of the rehearsals for it. So by June 3rd, Elvis returned to Hollywood to start the rehearsals, which would last for two weeks. At a press conference a few days before the taping of the special, Elvis was very humble. And he said, we figured it was about time. Besides, 
I figured I'd better do it before I got too old, which is unfortunate because he wasn't old at all. He considered himself to be, but he wasn't old at all. He died at 42. So he was very young and still in his prime, but he put a lot of pressure on himself that he wasn't as young as he once <laughs> was back in the 50s when he was like 19 years old, doing all of those songs and performing the rockabilly rock and roll music on stage for like the first time. So that's crazy to think about. So during the portions where Elvis would be doing the sit down live performances of his songs, he wanted some of his musical friends that were with him when he was up and coming to perform there with him. So Steve decided that he would call up his backup musicians, Scotty Moore and DJ Fontana, to be on there and to perform with Elvis. Just to, to again, to remind the people of where Elvis came from and where Elvis is at that point in time in the present. And it's just very interesting to hear how he talks about his early career. It's really fascinating. I'll just say that. Like, you really do have to watch it if you really want to know more. It's, it's truly fascinating. Elvis also felt more comfortable having his friends that knew him from when he was 19, 20 years old, starting out in the music industry there with him at that time where he was very nervous because he was extremely nervous to do this special. He was crippled with anxiety to do this performance, to do this special because, again, a lot was riding on it. He thought his career was riding on it. It was a make or break moment in his career. He thought, what what if the people don't like it or whatever? Like, he was very hesitant about it all. But, you know, he enjoyed himself a lot getting into it at some point. And then also, the writers gave Elvis a list of topics to discuss between songs. So again, it would mention, you know, his early career. It would mention his Hollywood years and then his current music business and all of that stuff. And he would, like, crack jokes in between, like, you know, making everyone laugh. Like, he was so funny and so... It, it was just, it's, it was a really, really, really fun, easygoing special intermixed with the musical numbers, which I thought was kind of interesting. So on June 20th, Elvis taped the first sit-down show where he would be sitting down again on the stage and his friends would be on stage performing with him. Colonel Tom Parker had told NBC that he would handle ticket distribution. He told them that he would bring in fans from across the country to fill the studio. Like, don't even worry about it. The studio is going to be packed full of fans. Don't even worry about it. Well, oops, by the day of the show, he hadn't distributed the tickets at all. And only a few people were in line to see the taping. So that was almost a disaster on that front alone. But Steve Binder and Bob Finkel had the smartest idea to run across the street to a restaurant that was across from the studio and invite people from this restaurant to come in and watch and just enjoy and be a part of the live audience. And they also aired a radio announcement to gather more people for the show, which, again, just thinking off, thinking so smart on the balls of your feet, I thought that was so interesting that they did that. They thought so quick. When you watch it, if you do end up watching it, um, it's really, it's really cool just to watch like a music history unfold like right in front of your eyes because genuinely, I've never seen a concert like that before. It was really, really moving in such a different way just from all the varying pieces. By the end of the first show, Bill had to carefully remove the sweat-soaked leather suit that was stuck to Elvis's skin. <laughs> Remember when I said Elvis was wearing this two-piece leather suit? Well, can you imagine him being up there on stage under the hot studio lights? 
He's sweating profusely. They had to physically cut him out of the suit. And luckily, they had a seamstress on hand to sew him back in. And then they had to blow dry all the sweat out of the suit, like, and wash it by hand. Like, it was crazy. So they had to get all of this set for the next show. It was, it was crazy. The second show, Elvis was much more relaxed and he had a much more easygoing time and he was much more himself because he was getting into the feel of being back on stage for the first time in years. So he was enjoying himself. And when he knew like, okay, no one's like, no one's booing me. No one's throwing tomatoes at me. Like, this is fine. You know, so when he knew that it was okay, he got more relaxed into it. So on June 29th, Elvis recorded both stand-up sessions. The arrangements of the songs for the stand-up shows were fast-paced. And Elvis had a great time dancing up there on stage. Now, all of that was all said and done. They did the musical numbers. They did the stand-up portions. They did the sit-down portions. Now, all that was left to do was the closer. Now, like I said, there was originally going to be the Christmas song that they were going to do. And then the spoken word speech Elvis was going to give. And that was changed. All that was changed. Steve Binder decided to replace the speech with a different song instead. And Steve Binder really wanted Elvis to come out of his shell more and express more of the feelings he was having, again, about that socio-political climate that was happening in the 60s at that time, particularly, again, with Elvis's feelings on the assassinations of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. So he really wanted to get Elvis to write a really serious song that spoke about change and hope and peace. Now, he didn't write the song. The song was called If I Can Dream. He didn't write the song. They brought in a lyricist called Walter Earl Brown to write a song that reflected all of these beliefs that Elvis had. And again, the song was called If I Can Dream, which was written that same night that Elvis was to perform it. So it happened in what I would imagine would be just a few hours, which is crazy. Steve Binder had then sent the song to Colonel Tom Parker, who still thought that the show's closer was going to be I'll Be Home for Christmas. Well, he would be sorely surprised to see that it wasn't going to be. He had a very negative response to the song, of course, because he's like, Elvis can't perform a song that talks about the political climate of America. He has to sing a Christmas song. But Steve Binder, like, swerved him, like, oh, no, I'm bypassing you, and I'm just going to go right to Elvis with this and say, Elvis, here's the song, here's what it sounds like, you have to perform this. Let's go. So Steve played Elvis the song three times and Elvis was in no time convinced that he should in fact record this. He's like, yep, this is the song. I got to do it. Let's do it now. Elvis actually loved it so much that when he did record the song in a booth, he did so in the dark. Steve Binder had recounted that Elvis was in an almost fetal position writhing on the cement floor singing the song and when he got done he came in the control room and we played it maybe 15 times he just loved it so much that song meant a lot to elvis so that's how the special closed with that performance of if i can dream and if you don't watch the special definitely watch that on youtube search elvis if i can dream and you'll be pleasantly surprised and blown away by the performance that he gives that he does live and also the lyrical content it's very pertinent i think to even now at this day and age so it's very much so still relevant so but yeah that's how the special closed and that in its entirety was the special it was still sponsored by singer sewing company so 
The special was called Singer Presents Elvis, and it aired on December third, nineteen sixty-eight, at nine p.m. Eastern. You know, it was it was out in December for the Christmas time because again, they wanted it to initially be a Christmas special, but nothing about this was Christmassy. They scrapped every single bit of Christmas that could ever have once been a part <laughs> of the special, and there was no Christmas single. Technically, the "If I Can Dream" song was theoretically the quote-unquote Christmas single. It was not a Christmas song, but it was, I think, the big single that Singer was hoping for. The special placed first in the television ratings for the week ending on December eighth. Forty-two percent of the total television audience viewed it at home, making it the most watched show of the season. The special soundtrack was released shortly afterward, and the album for that reached number eight on the Billboard's Top LP chart. And by July of the following year, it was certified gold. It did extremely, extremely well for itself. And then throughout the years, as the anniversary for the special has been released and has come out, more reissues of the soundtrack. Has come out more takes, more behind-the-scenes stuff has come out. That's that's essentially what we get with that there. And also, Steve Binder is actually currently in—I don't know if it's pre-production phase, but it's in a somewhat production phase to come out with a documentary called Elvis and Steve: The Making of the '68 Comeback Special, where he's going to give us all the behind-the-scenes about the comeback special. Apparently, I'm not sure if it's being made now or what's happening, but there is a tentative release date of sometime next year. I don't know when, but it's sometime next year. So be on the lookout for that too. That's gonna be really good. But to kind of close off the episode, after the '68 comeback special, Elvis asked Tom Parker to tell him basically to say that he wanted to return. To touring, he wanted to do more tours because he was done with the movie stuff. He didn't want to do the formulaic movies anymore. He was sick of it. Literally, he was sick of those movies, and he couldn't fathom or stomach doing another one. And after the rush, the adrenaline rush of the comeback special, he really just wanted to full fledged go hardcore on doing touring and being vehement about touring. So there was a press conference that was done sometime later. Where it was announced by Tom Parker that Elvis would embark on a comeback tour, which essentially would end up being a, a roughly five-year residence at the International Hotel in Las Vegas, where Elvis would perform night after night, show after show of just insane, fantastic, magnificent shows. Like, I mean, it's it's truly like a sight to behold. He Elvis really is a one of a kind, unique talent. And he loved performing to his fans, so that's what he did. The word choice might not have been the best, because Elvis felt like he was being labeled a has been when he thought, "Well, my career is seemingly doing well, and I'm not a has been." He actually didn't even like the fact that it was called the '68 Comeback Special, because he himself was like, "Yeah, my career isn't like doing the best, but like I'm still here. I never left. Come back." <laughs> Alludes to the fact that you left, and I never left. I have always been here. That's kind of what Elvis was thinking to himself. But so that's what he did. He he started going to the international, and he would eventually do that for five years. He then 
went into the studio with renewed enthusiasm and began producing and recording his regular rock and roll and blues type of music that he once had done. The resulting two singles that came from those sessions were In the Ghetto, which reached number one, and Suspicious Minds, which released in late August and topped the charts and became one of Elvis's signature songs. So with renewed enthusiasm, he was so infatuated with his career again and doing music again. He had to let his dream of being an actor somewhat die. I mean, there was talks of Elvis being in a remake of A Star is Born with Barbra Streisand. He really, really wanted to do that. He always really wanted to do serious acting, but he was led astray from that from his manager, wrongfully saying to him that no one wants him in those kind of films. They want him in films where he's singing and being funny. They didn't want him in serious roles. But, you know, I think Elvis had a lot of strong potential to be a serious actor, and he never had the chance to do it. So he instead was worked like a dog at the International Hotel for roughly five years in a contract of millions that would unfortunately lead him down a kind of destructive path. But the special did what it intended to do, and it revitalized, refreshed Elvis's career to the people wherein now he had the opportunity to make new music and people were to be in love with it. I think if the special didn't happen, or if it was the Christmas special it was intended to be, or if it never happened at all, and Elvis just came back with new music, I don't know if it would have really hit the same. I think it would have been different. So it had to go this way. And in my opinion, the 68 Comeback Special is one of the best live concerts, but also one of the best live albums that has ever happened in music history. That, in a nutshell, is the story of how Elvis, who was the king of Christmas, ended up revitalizing his career and coming back uh, to rock and roll with a boom. I was going to say something else, but to be honest, I think that's probably about it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed and that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. Tis the season. Listen to some of Elvis's Christmas music. Blue Christmas is probably, Blue Christmas and White Christmas are probably two of the most popular Christmas songs that Elvis covered, but he has a wide range of Christmas singles. So listen to the Elvis Christmas album from 57 if you want or not, but I just like Elvis and I wanted to give you guys more of an opportunity to learn about him. So I hope that you learned something today and that you guys have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful Christmas and I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye guys.